Would you open your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings 15. Normally I'm not oh, discombobulated like this. There's too many pieces of paper up here. These chapters, uh, if you read them, you know, uh, but uh, chapters 13 through 15 detail many important aspects of uh, life in Judah and in Israel, the northern kingdom, during the years after King Joash in, the, in Judah, after he died. But especially uh, we see in chapter 13 about the death of the prophet Elisha, um, and some pretty interesting miracle that comes after his death. We look at King Amaziah in the southern kingdom. But what we want to look at this morning is this king that many people know of by a different name, but King Azariah. King Azariah in Judah could have been one of Israel's greatest kings. Now, he was a great king. He was a really good king. He was a great king. Um, he could have become a king up on the level of a Solomon or even a David. He really could have. But he made some choices that kept him from doing that. His name, Azariah, Azariah means Jehovah is my help. Along the line, his name was changed to Uzziah. Uh, Jehovah is my strength. And really, his name depicted very much of his life. Again, he's one of the greatest kings. 52 years, he, he comes to the throne when he's 16 years old after his father Amaziah dies. And 52 years, he's on that throne. That would be f like for us today, having, no matter what you thought of him, Richard Nixon still on the throne. 52 years, imagine having 52 years with one king or one mayor or one governor, whatever it is, for 52 years, regardless of your, the politics. And this is not a political situation here because that's not how they saw it in Israel. But regardless of your politics, just think of having the influence of one particular leader for that long. If you hated Donald Trump, you'd say, oh, 52 years, I can't imagine what that would be like. If you love Donald Trump, you'd say, oh, it's so much better, so much better than what we have now. And I mean, people go back and forth with their politics, but he was there 52 years. And 2 Kings 15 doesn't tell us very much. Um, and, and I believe that part of the reason for that, just quickly, this is my editorial uh, opinion for whatever that's worth, but the writer of the Kings, first and second Kings, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of good evidence, but uh, the writer seems to be the prophet Jeremiah. He's writing after the destruction of Jerusalem, right? He, his, he's, he's written Jeremiah. He's written, um, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he's, he's, he's gone through all this, and, and now he's trying to catalog everything that happened, and he's looking at it through this lens. He's seen the destruction of the great city. It's not just any city, but the holy city, the city of the great king. He's, he's witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of Judah. And he's writing with the question throughout, and if you, and if you look at it that way, you'll pick up the, the cues as you, as you read along through the kings. He's writing with the question, how did this happen and how do we keep this from happening? Now, he knows why it happened, but he's, he wants his readers to understand this is why these things happen, and this is how we keep this from happening again. 
But Second Chronicles really gives us a lot more information. So since you've gotten comfortable and you're in Second Kings, let's move to the right and let's go to Second Chronicles. So that's where we're going to see a lot more information. And if you're like me, you've always already placed a tab there. Um, but you're probably not like me, so you didn't do that because you didn't know we were going there. <laughs> the Second Chronicles... Now, by the way, the Chronicles, at various times, in fact, including in... Um, in Second Kings 15, we're told the rest of his life, the details of his life, are, are listed for us in the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. That's what this is. Sec the, the book of the Chronicles, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, is really all about Judah. Whereas you read through First and Second Kings, I hope I'm not boring you, but if you read through First and Second Kings, you can get a little lost sometimes, like, wait, we were talking about this guy, now he's over here now. Now you wrote about that, and now we're back over here. And you keep going through between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom because it's an overview of all of the kings, what happened to Israel as a whole. Whereas the Chronicles, the, the, the Chronicles we have in our Bible, is only about the kings of Judah. Make a reference from time to time about a king in the northern kingdom, but doesn't give you details of his life or the things that he did. It's all about what happened in Judah. There is a book that's lost, apparently, uh, which is a chronicle of the kings of Israel, but God didn't want to put it into the Tanakh. Um, but here, chapter 26 deals with the life of Uzziah, of, of Uzziah. This is a man who was prosperous as long as he sought the Lord. Let's look at the first five verses here. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and they made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. And he built Elat, those of you who know what Elat is, all the way at the, what we call the bottom of Israel, down at that little bitty point on the tip of the Red Sea, Elat. I don't think he built it as a, as a tourist city, like it is now, uh, or uh, as a place for snorkeling, or you know all the other things that go on there. It has no real biblical value, it's just a place to vacation. He built it because he was one of the kings who tried to have a navy. Not many of the kings did, and Israel's never been known for its navy. Um, only today is it really starting to do that. But in any event, he built it a lot, and he restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. And Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ukaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Big verse coming up. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, not the Zechariah you think of in the Bible, but he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's a key verse right there. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. What, what, what would be the flip side of that coin? I, I, I mix my metaphors. What would be the flip side of that record or the, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, what would be the other side? When he didn't seek the Lord, he didn't prosper. We have all kinds of ideas about prosperity and I'm not going into them all this morning because God's not the prosperity God that some people have made him out to be. And yet at the same time, God does promise that he will prosper those who seek him. He's not saying, I'll just keep dumping gold into your account. That's not what he's saying. But prosperity can mean a lot of different things. He did great things for many years. As I said, he, uh, he could have ended up like a Solomon or a David. You know, Jesus said we shouldn't be worried 
about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drink. Why? Because he said the pagans worry about all those things. What he said, though, is that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of those things, those things that we worry about, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all those things will be added to us. We worry, and we've talked about this before, but worry, especially when it's used you know, in, in the Greek, but you get the same sense in, in Hebrew too. To worry means to choke off, ultimately. It means because we're focusing on one thing, we're choking off life. You know, Jesus said that to Martha. Mary's sitting at his feet, Martha's busy. And, you know, I'm not here to, to preach about that this morning. I'll get off on a long tension I'll never come back from. But Martha, Martha, you're, you're caught up. You're worried about many things. Mary has sought that which is better. He's not saying there's no work to be done. He's just saying if, if balance is a, a biblical word, and it's not all the time, but if, if it were a matter of balance, he said keep your life in balance. Focus first on him. We don't, and that's why the worry comes in. And we see that here in the life of, of Uzziah, Uzziah, is that he, he cared about what God wanted. He put God first as long as he sought the Lord, and that was many years of his life. As long as he sought the Lord, I presume that's about the time when his name changed from God is my help to God is my strength. Because as he sought the Lord, he grew in his understanding of, of God's strength. His, his relationship, we're going to think about this. Here's a man who's a king, and I, and I do believe sometimes we, we, we overemphasize the, um, uh, the role of a person so much that we forget that they're just a person, just like us. We tend to forget that we really are all equal before the cross, that regardless of what our role is in life, our profession, how much money we've made, the education that we have, that we're really all the same before the Lord. Not that, not that we're drones. I mean, we, have, we have equal value before God, yet we're, we're, we're completely individual. We're completely, if you could say it that way, unique. And so here's a man who, though his role was king, you know, we tend to look at king, oh, I can't measure up. No, well, you're not the king. He was the king then. But he grew, as he was the king, he grew in his relationship with the Lord. And as he did, as he sought the Lord, God continued to bring great blessings, not just on his life, but really through his role as the king, he brought great blessings to Judah. He grew up. Brought great, brought great blessings to the kingdom over which Uzziah ruled. And, and you can go down the list. We're not going to read through them all this morning, but you look at verses 6 through 8 there. He went out, he made war against, well, against the Philistines and others. Um, the Philistines, the Arabians, and the Munuans, whatever they're, however you pronounce them. <laughs> Verse 7, the, the Munits. Um, I can mispronounce them as well as you. But he, he gave them victory in war. When they'd go to battle, they'd win. He gave them great blessing. God really blessed him. You look in these next verses, about beginning around verse 9 and on through verse 11. Gave great blessing to Uzziah in terms of agriculture. Here's a man who's the king, and yet he loves agriculture. 
He's the king. He loves animals. He, loves, he, wants, he wants to improve their, we'll put it our way, technology and how to create greater yields, greater agricultural yields, because he's responsible for food. Food is a security issue in any kingdom, and he's, he knows that he's responsible for that. He sought the Lord, and God enabled him <laughs> to increase the yields of the fields and the animals in all of Israel. And then the other portion, beginning around, I guess, around verse 11, God gave him great blessings in terms of the ability to create weaponry. You say, that's a weird one. Yeah, but he, he built great weaponry, machines of weaponry, machines that could throw big balls, big rocks, and, 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 and arrows, things as opposed to one man at a time. He, he was beginning of the engineering of that. You say, that's a weird blessing. Well, it's an important blessing when you're looking at the security of a nation, the one that you're over. As long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him. The principles that we find in Scripture are not just about an individual. When we see a person blessed because they sought the Lord, because God, God doesn't change. So he views you and me the same way. He promises great blessings in our life, too. He promises us great <coughs> success, victory, if you would, over our enemies. You say, really? Where do you find that? Well, how about 1 John 4, 4? Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you power and, and, and success, victory, if you would, over your greatest enemy. As long as you stand in the truth, continue to seek the Lord, he'll give you wisdom about those things. And just as here's, here's Uzziah who, who has this great desire for, for agriculture and he wants to feed his people, God also promises us, Jesus said, if you, you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. You say, that's a stretch. Well, no, that's exactly what Jesus promised. And there's, there's a growth, there's a depth that happens in us as we put our roots down in Jesus Christ. See, it's too easy. And, you know, I don't, I don't sit with Josh or with Andrew and go bit by bit over what song they select. But I'm listening to these songs this morning and thinking that, that we're right on theme here. It's so easy for us to just sing a song for the sake of singing a song. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy just to walk in here and take a seat for the sake of taking a seat. It's so easy to say, I'm going to church. Why? Why would we go to church? Some people go to church to have fun. Some people go to church to have a free cup of coffee. Some people come... For the pretzels. So people come for all sorts of reasons. Over it all, we all say we're coming to church to worship the Lord. But sometimes I think we need to ask us ourselves, just like that song asks, am I doing that? Or am I going to come back to the heart of worship to really focus on him? Because I need you every hour. I really do. You see, I, I say that, and we shake our heads, but most of us, truth be told, including me, it's too easy to just live out the pattern of my life. You live out the pattern, you get up at a certain time, you grab the cup of coffee, because how else can you face the day without it? And, and yeah, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> we all know that. And, 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 and then we, we, go, we, we, work, we work in schedules, we do the things we're going to do, and we say we're doing it under the Lord. Don't, I'm not picking on anybody, don't misunderstand. I'm just saying we need to challenge ourselves about how we do and why we do the things that we do. And then sometimes after the weeks or the months or the years have gone by, we say, you know, I've been doing all this, but where am I? I mean, look at the trouble that I'm in. Look at the illnesses in my life. Look at, look at all these different things. I'm not saying that if you seek the Lord, you won't get sick. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying if, if you seek the Lord, the people you love are never going to die. I'm not saying that. But as we go through those steps in life, there's a, I, I, I don't want to use the word prosperity. There's a blessing. There's a, there's a place of blessing that we discover because we're doing it with him and, and in his presence. But his downfall came. And it's where our downfall comes. You know, look at this in verse 16. It says there, but when he was strong, Uziah, Jehovah's my strength. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Ah, his, when he was strong, when, in other words, not God's strength, but when he saw himself as strong. See, there was a part before Azariah, Jehovah is my help. Jehovah is my strength, Uziah, when he saw himself as Uzzah. Not Jehovah is my strength, but Uzzah. Strength. Successful. I'm a successful man. I've been the king for how many years now? He's not 16 anymore. He's not 26. He's probably 40. That's when the things begin to happen for many of us in our lives. <laughs> and when that happened in his life, he saw himself as strong instead of seeing the Lord as his strength. We do that in our professions. We do that in the things that we've studied. We do that sometimes even in our own Bible studies. Oh, yeah, I know that. If, if, you, if you just read this, it means this, it means that. But have we, have we gotten the, the truth of the word? I mean, we understand what it says. But what he's telling me is, is what matters. I have to be open to what God is speaking to me. When he became strong, in other words, in his own eyes, he was lifted up to his destruction because he transgressed against the Lord, and he did it by a specific thing. He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense, which is a reasonable place to do it. We, we, we tend to see that as a, that, that's a tiny thing. Like, what's, what's the big deal? And really, for you and me, we don't see that as an issue for our lives. Okay, I'm not, I don't see myself going into a temple to burn incense. But he knew better. He knew exactly what the word of God said that the king was never to be a priest. There's, there's three roles. There's the prophet, the priest, and the king. And a king could be a prophet. Look at King David. A priest could be a prophet. John the Baptist was born into a priestly household. He was in line to become a priest. But he, was a, he becomes a prophet. But the king was never allowed to be a priest. As you read David's Psalms, you get the sense, boy, he loved being a prophet, but if he could do something, he would have loved to be a priest. But he knew God's word said no. And you don't see that, probably, as a major issue. Probably none of us do, except that God said, don't do it. And if you read the whole passage, you should for yourself if you haven't. It says there that all the priests tried to stop him from doing it. At any point, had he turned back, it would have been fine. If at any point he would have repented, said, God, yeah, yeah, what, am, what was I thinking? I, should not, I shouldn't be touching this stuff. Nothing would have happened. He would have repented, he would have turned away, and it would all be over. It would all be over. It didn't have to happen. But a terrible thing happened. Pride became his downfall. And he went and he burned incense. And when he did, God struck him with leprosy on his forehead. Uh, maybe, you know, the priests are arguing with him. There's like 80 priests, and they're all trying to get him to stop. And, and 
you know how you, when you get angry, that little vein starts to pop yeah. out right here? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's probably getting really angry back, and then God strikes him with, with leprosy on his forehead, and they probably saw this thing. It was like, it looked like one of those, you know, volcano pimples that you're trying to get rid of on your forehead. Yeah. And they were like, ooh, Uzziah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> stay away. And he, and he had to stay away for the rest of his life. He had to live somewhere else. He was even buried in a different place. He didn't care about what he couldn't do because he was the king after all. He'd always had his own way he always, because he always got his way. He was strong. He was successful. He was the king. And it can happen to any of us. You know, you go back and read the story of King Saul. You know, and many times you read the story of King Saul and you think, you know, what a knucklehead that guy was. Man, why did he do some of the things that he did? The interesting thing is, and Samuel says to him, I think it's in 1 Samuel 15. He says, when you were young, even though he, was, he stood a head taller than all of the men in Israel, he was always tall, dark, handsome, because he, he was the people's king. He wasn't God's choice. He was the people's king. When people saw him, they said, well, that's the guy who has to be king because he's tall, dark, and handsome. And the kings have to be tall, dark, and handsome. But he, even though he was tall, dark, and handsome, he knew that he didn't deserve to be it, and he was humble. He always saw himself as a little man, humble. And God put him onto that throne then because the people wanted him there. And now he grew in his pride. It's interesting how that happens, how circumstances can change us when God gives us all the opportunities not to. It's a sad, sad story of squandered potential when you look at King Lucia. Squandered potential. I wonder what he could have done with the rest of his life and how much we forfeit such great potential in our lives because there come points and they happen to every single one of us I wish sometimes there was only one fork in the road that I ever meet up with but there's always another fork in the road every time you meet that fork you're going to have to choose am I going my way the way I want to, the way it looks like to me I should. Because after all, I have success. After all, I've accomplished things. Should I go that way when the Spirit of God is saying, no, no, go this way? And the primary fork in the road. There's a way that seems right to the man. You know? There's a road to destruction that many people are on. There's a great crowd on it. They're all going straight to hell. And at that fork, you can choose. I'm going to take that road because everybody's going there. Or I can take the one that hardly anybody is on. And it's not an easy road. And yet the Spirit is saying, come this way to be saved. Come this way to be saved. What squandered potential is the story of King Lutzia. He had everything, and now it's gone. And actually, if you think about it, that's the story in many ways. It was, if you take the, again, the flip side of that story, it becomes the story for the people of Judah, and especially one particular man who was related to King Lucia. There was a prophet who came up on the scene about the time of his life, and his name was Isaiah. After, after Elijah, Isaiah is the most famous prophet that you're ever going to read of in the Bible. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, before the death of, of Uzziah, 
He goes on and on and on. He's a prophet. He's speaking for God. He has righteous indignation in him as he sees the problems in his society. We have it too sometimes. We have righteous indignation and we see the problems in our society. Six times through Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to you! Woe to you! And he's going on and on all the reasons why, why they're wrong. What's the problem with their lives? All sorts of reasons. Woe to you, he says, for your partying. Woe to you for your drunkenness. Woe to you for your what we would call relativistic thinking. Because you call that which is evil good and you call that which is good evil. You give bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You say it's yes when it's really a no. You say it's wrong when it's really right. That's our society today. Isaiah chapter 5 is a very contemporary chapter. Some of you are thinking, he's going to teach the whole Bible. He's gone from 2 Kings to 2 Chronicles. Now he's in Isaiah. No, I won't. Just half. But you see, what he's saying is not wrong. What Isaiah says, if you study chapter 5, he's not wrong in the things that he says. Woe to you for the way you treat people. Woe to you for the way you turn your back on God. Woe to you for the way that you lie to justify your sin. There's a lot of stuff he's saying there. Sadly, that applies to us too. Not just who we point our finger at, but that. I mean, you can read it, and if you don't get convicted, you're probably not paying attention. But he says something interesting. He says in chapter 6, that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. See, Uzziah was a great king. Even though these things had happened, even though he'd entered into the temple and he sought to burn the incense and God struck him with leprosy, still he was beloved of the people. They loved the man because of everything, all the great things he had done. They loved him. I don't know if he had mean tweets, but I mean, he was a... He was, a, he, was a, he was a king that the people loved because of all the great things he had done. I mean, think about it. The Dow had hit 35,000. I mean, the, the economy was wonderful. People were rolling in shekels. They had, they had a life like they'd never had really since Solomon. Well, really since David. Solomon made it better, but then he taxed the people so much. They were finally growing out of all of their debt and their poverty in many ways. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I mean, if you want to turn there, you can. It's really worth seeing Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, he says there, in the year king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the temple in heaven. This is not Solomon's temple. There was no throne in the temple of Solomon. This is a, this is a vision, whether he's transported or a vision, however you want to look, but he saw the Lord. See, he saw the Lord, and you could say, and I don't want to stretch or overstretch this, but he never saw the Lord before that. He was a prophet before chapter 6. You could see that. There's already five chapters before that. He's already doing the, performing the role of the prophet. It's that when Uzziah, the one he loved, and there's a, there's a family relationship there, 
But he was, Isaiah would have had some welcome into the throne room. I mean, into the, the king's throne room. So, he, you know, there was, there was a relationship. If you study Isaiah, you'll see that. But, but when Osea died, there's the question, now what do we do? Now what do we do? 52 years, one king, great king. Fantastic economy, everybody's eating. Our enemies at hel are held at bay. I mean, that's prosperity for a nation, right? Now what do we do? 52 years, he's gone. Now what? What's going to happen now? You know, it's when your Utsia dies. It could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the on oncome of a great sickness. When chaos ensues in your life because the one you've been focusing on is gone. Because that deep keel that you've had for so long because of one person is gone. That's when we look around. Now what am I going to do? What do I do now? Oh, my word. What, what happens? And we begin to fret. It was in the year that King Lysia died, I saw the Lord high, lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. By the way, for those of you who enjoy this stuff and those of you who don't, you should learn to. When you read the Old Testament, there are three ways Lord can be spelled. God's name is not God. That's his position. His name is Yehovah, or some people say Jehovah. There's no J in Hebrew, but Yehovah. But it's, it's represented when Yehovah is written in Hebrew. The translators, the English translators, write that out as L-O-R-D, all capital letters. So if you say, I saw Yehovah, That'd be L-O-R-D-L, capital letters. But if you're looking at verse 1, what does it say? See, the rest of you are not looking because you don't know. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Wow. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Lowercase O-R-D, what does that mean? That's Adonai. In other words, that would be a pre-incarnate vision of our Lord Jesus Christ seated on the throne. This is 700 years before Christ. I saw the Lord, because otherwise you're going to say, you know, wait, wait a minute, doesn't God say to Moses, no one can look at my face and live? This is how, through Christ himself. But I digress. It was a good digression, in my opinion, but anyhow. <laughs> in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw Adonai seated upon the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. They're seraphim. They're, they're some form of angel. There are a lot of different types of angels, apparently. The seraphim, the cherubim. We look at the four living creatures that are around the throne. They're a different version of that. There's Michael the archangel. There only seems to be one of him. So the seraphim here are different than the cherubim. See, the cherubim in, in, in Revelation 4, they fall down before the Lord. These are flying. The cherubim have one set of wings. These have six wings or two or three sets of wings. And, and so with one set, they cover their eyes. With, uh, with another set, cover their feet. And with the other set, they flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, kadosh, 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 Yehovah Sabaoth. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried. That's, that's a heavy cry. You know, if angels cry out like that, holy, 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 and the 
and the posts begin to shake. You'd think the construction would be pretty good in heaven. <laughs> this is not a union job. I'm not trying to poke it out. I'm just saying. <laughs> or this is not a New Jersey construction job. All right, how's that? And I said, wow. See, that's what I, I'd want to say, wow. But he said, whoa. Woe is me. Wait, just before this, he was crying out, woe to you. Woe to you for your drunkenness. Woe to you for your wrong thinking. Woe to you for your iniquity, your twisted thinking. The things that you, woe to you for all. Now he's saying, woe to me. I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. What does it say? All caps. Wait a minute, I thought you just saw Adonai. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. You study it for yourself. My eyes have seen the king, Jehovah of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips, your twistedness, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. So what's going on here? And John, I thought you were talking about King Uzi. Isn't it? So what are you talking about? Well, yeah, his eyes were on Uziah all of his life. All of his life, he'd only known one king. He's a young man. All of their lives, they'd only known one king. And while Uzziah was alive, that's what Isaiah would say. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you for all the things that you've done. And now his Uzziah is gone. Now as he seeks the Lord, where are we going? See, that's the, that's the point here. He never had a revelation of God before, though he was called by God and he knew he was called by God. Enough so that he could say way back in chapter one, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. He understood this, but he'd never placed himself in the center of it. He knew he was God's man, prophet, and so he would say, woe to you for all the things you've done to it now in light of who God was. Woe to me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. What do you mean unclean lips? I mean, some scholars actually say, yeah, well, you know, because he, he had a swearing problem. I really don't think that's what Isaiah's issue was. No, he understood that he's been saying, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you so much that he realized that he's busted. He's busted. He's a man of unclean lips. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of us feel this way at times. I know I do as a, as a guy who teaches the word. I, I, I mean, I, I try to live the life God wants me to live. I know what I'm responsible to do on, on Wednesdays, on Sundays, and through the week. As a pastor, I know what I'm supposed to do. But I also know the word says the teacher will be held to a higher standard. High, held to an accountability that those who don't teach won't be, which is not a reason not to teach. <laughs> but I take comfort that I live among a people of unclean lips, so I guess I'm okay. <laughs> no, but serious, right? He, he sees himself, woe is me. And I, I, I know I said this during a revelation study, but 
Seraphim, seraph means to burn. It's a verb that means to burn in Hebrew. So seraphim are burning ones. They're not angels on fire, but they appeared that way, in other words. So how hot must a coal in that altar be for the seraphim to have to use tongs to take it out? It's the white, hot holiness of God is the point. And it's only that white, hot holiness when it touched him that could cleanse him, you'd say, of his iniquity. It's only the holiness of the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse you from your iniquity, your sins, your transgressions. He understood how much he needed deliverance. Do you remember that time? Again, see, it's easy just to walk in and do church. It's easy just to come to church. It's easy to just let the worship team play. And, oh, they're, they're not putting on a performance. They're leading us into the throne room. Like, that's the whole idea. We, 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 we love to use music because we know that God uses the music to open our hearts for whatever he wants to say to us from his word. See, it's easy to go through the steps, and we all do it. It's not that I'm picking on anybody. It's just that we need to be reminded how easy it is to fall into the habit where there is no substance. The substance determines the footsteps that we take. And the one who's leading us, not a worship team, not the preacher, but God's spirit, He's the one who leads us into the throne room. He's the one who, when we open his word, he speaks to us from his word. He speaks to us not just about what happened historically in that event, but about what's going on in our heart today, what's going on where we work today or in our home today, wherever the case may be, and reminds us to come back to him. People often say that, you know, Isaiah 6 is the woe, the low, and the go. You know, he says, woe to me when he, when he recognizes his twistedness. When, when uh, you know, the Lord says, you know, uh, lo, this has cleansed, or the angel says, this has cleansed you. And God says, who, who will go for us? He says, here I am, send me. Then he was prepared to go. He was never prepared to go really before that. But that's when he was prepared to go. God said to him, go. And tell this people, go, he says, to the leper. Remember when the leper was cleansed? Go and show the priests and tell them the great things that God has done. He says to the demoniac, go, tell the people what the Lord has done for you. He said to the apostles, go and tell the truth. Go and tell. There's only one way to be saved. Go and tell. And he says to you and me, go. Tell the good news. Minister healing. Give people the gospel and lead them to Jesus Christ. That's what he tells each one of us to do. Not just me, not just a few people. Each one of us is called to do that. But we have to see God. And the only way you'll ever see God is to ask him, Lord, let me see through these uzias. Let me see through the chaos, through the fog. Let me see through it and see you. And if you do, you'll have your own revelation. I'm not saying you're going to be lifted up to heaven, but he's going to speak to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, 
You'll never experience that until you do see him, until you know him. And you do that by coming to him very simply. You know, it's so sad. People can hear it over and over, but never, never get it somehow. It's really quite simple, but it takes you to say yes. It takes you to say, okay, I will. And that is to say, I know I'm a sinner, and there's no way I will ever get to heaven, because that day is coming. You're going to meet the final fork in the road. Heaven or hell, you'll actually determine the difference. You'll determine which road you're going to go down but what you do with Jesus Christ today. <coughs> yes, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. Cleanse me of my sin, that I may know you, have the life you want for me, and to know that I'll be in heaven when I'm with you one day. Or you can choose to say, no, I don't want that. I'll flip the coin and take my chances. Don't do that. But today, just pray, Lord, I want to be saved. I want forgiveness for my sins. If that's what you desire, you can be saved. Come up here. Pray with us. We will, we will pray with you so that you can know that you've been saved and enter into eternal life. For the rest of us, you may be in a place where your utsia has died. That person, that situation that has gone wrong in your life. God uses that. Now seek him in the midst of it. He has something much better for you. Would you stand, please?